This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Joshua Scarf about his new book, Architect Torah, Architectural Ideas in Judaism and the Weekly Torah Portion, published by Orion Publications in 2023. Architect Torah is a collection of 178 short essays that investigate the Torah through the lens of architecture. Each essay briefly introduces a piece of architectural theory, a building, or a section of building code, and then re-examines a well-known topic in the Torah to uncover new and insightful interpretations. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm excited. As, as am I. I wonder if you can begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Okay. Well, my name is Joshua Scarf. I was born in Toronto, and I moved to Southfield, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit, when I was seven. I uh, attended Akiva, what was then Akiva Hebrew Day School, and now it's called Barber. And... Uh, after high school, I came to Israel for two years where I studied in Yeshivat Har Tzion. And then I returned to the States for college where I was uh, a student in the University of Michigan in the architecture school. I studied architecture there. Uh, at the time, I started uh, working during the summers for Moshe Safdie and Associates. After I graduated, uh, I moved to Israel. And I continued to work in, in the Safdi branch in Jerusalem. After about five years, when I got married, and I'm father of four, when, I, when my first son was born, I decided I'd better, there's a difference between the architectural degrees in the States and in, uh, in America, in, in the States and in Israel. So I had to go back and, and complete uh, a, another architecture degree, a professional architecture degree in Israel. So I enrolled in Betel Academy of Art and Design. I was a student there, graduated. And uh, I've been working as an architect in Jerusalem ever since. My, the firm that I currently work at focuses mostly on public buildings, which are like train stations, schools, hospitals, those types of things. And, uh, and that's what I do day to day. Sounds great. We didn't even talk about it at the beginning. I'm also Canadian, so the Canadian part is uh, close to my heart as well. The, this podcast is about books, so we want to jump right into the book and, and discuss why did you come to write this book? How did it come to be? Ah, so when I was uh, when I was a student in college in University of Michigan, I was always intrigued when when uh, when topics that we were discussing 
in, in architecture subjects, history or, or building, had parallels that I recognized from the Talmud. Uh, I started, I, I learned pretty seriously while I was in college, and I, I had been doing Dafyomi starting in high school already, uh, which is a daily, uh, a daily study uh, course where you, where you uh, learn a page of Talmud every day, and after seven and a half years, you, you complete the whole Talmud, Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, by the end of college, I was looking to do something that was more in-depth, something that was more, as we would say in Hebrew, bi'iyun. And so I thought it would be interesting to write about architecture in rabbinic literature. Uh, and from the start, I, 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 from what I can remember, I imagined it from the beginning as a book about the weekly Torah portion. Uh, so as a test, I went through the, Gen the book of Genesis and I started making a list of all the architectural topics that I, that I could think of in, in, in the, uh, that I came across. And I saw that it was possible, so I got to work. Now, at the same time, I was also uh, going through various uh, corpuses of corpus uh, of Jewish of Jewish studies. So I uh, went through the Mishnah, the Tosefta, both of the Talmuds, uh, books of Midrash Halakha of, uh, and 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 Midrash Haggadah, and Maimonides Mishnah Torah. And as I was doing this, I would index all of the different architectural discussions that came up. Uh, I wasn't the first person to do this. There was a, a, a famous scholar named uh, Samuel Krauss who had done this about a century ago. But my goal was very different than his, and I had a much wider lens. So I was, uh, I, at some point, I, I paired up the different uh, subjects that I had indexed with the different ideas that I had come across in, 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 in the Torah. And I sort of made myself a list of the, of, of the topics that I could talk about for each Torah portion. And then uh, over the course of what ended up being about 18 years, I wrote, started writing those essays and, uh, and compiling it. Uh, I also, at the same time, was going through all the scholarly books and articles that I could find about uh, architecture in, uh, in, in, in the Roman and the Sasanian culture in, in, uh, in, the, in late antiquity and uh, help using those, also, those discussions also to, uh, to flesh out uh, the, the topics that I come across in, in the Talmud as well as lots of modern architectural uh, theoretical books uh, that dealt, deal with all sorts of different subjects. So it was a very interesting exploration for me. And, uh, and I enjoyed researching it. And, uh, and in the end, I ended up with, uh, with, with the book. That sounds good. And it's a really great book. I really did enjoy flipping through and reading and engaging with it. You mentioned Krauss as one of the scholars that had done some previous work on architecture and a connection to Jewish sources. What, what were the other scholars? What were the other works they were using that helped you complete and, and, and write the book that you put? Okay, well, if, if we're talking specifically about uh, uh, scholars, Jewish scholars, people who are approaching this from Jewish studies, this is a Jewish studies podcast. Most of the places that I found uh, were, there are a number of books that deal with architecture uh, either in the time of the of the of the Bible or in the time of the the Talmud. So, for example, there is a there there, um, there, there are a number of books that uh, that were that were written. There's one book that was a, a compilation of uh, of different essays by famous archaeologists that dealt with the way architecture appears in in, in the Bible uh, and and the and and talking about the archaeological finds that are there. Um, <clears throat> there, uh, there have also been a number of books that have just been written about the material culture in 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 the time of the in the time of the the Talmud. Uh, so, for example, uh, 
let me think. Well, of course, I used I used Vitruvius. He was kind of my guide my guidepost. Vitruvius, the famous uh, Roman architect who who wrote about uh, who wrote te- uh, ten books on architecture. And uh, when I was trying to decide whether or not a, a a topic was sufficiently architectural to include in my book, I generally fell fell back on the on the idea that if Vitruvius talked about it, it was good enough. It was good enough for me. So, for example, you have material culture in in the land of Israel during the Talmudic period, which was a, a book that was written by uh, 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 actually a pair of books that were written by by Daniel Sperber. Uh, you have uh, he also wrote the city in Roman Palestine, which. It, focused on a number of specific uh, topics uh, in the Talmud. So that was probably the closest thing that existed uh, to the book that I wrote. There was the architecture of ancient Israel from prehistoric to the Persian periods, which was edited by Aaron Kempinski and Ronnie Reich. Uh, Ronnie Reich also wrote uh, the book on mikvaot, on ritual baths, so th- which is a- another interesting uh, area. There tended to be either broad... Um, broad uh, surveys of, of, of architecture uh, in the different time periods or specific specific explorations of types of buildings. So you have, uh, a, uh, there's one book that's written just about um, uh, domestic architecture, about houses. There's one book that's written about bathhouses. There's another book that's written about aqueducts. And each one of these tended to include a chapter where uh, either the author or a guest author would write about how, uh, how that's presented in the rabbinic sources. So those I found to be tremendously uh, useful in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the period of the Talmud. I think I've been remiss, and we started off in some ways in the middle. How would we define architecture? What do we mean by architecture <laughs> that we're discussing in this book and this interview? Ah, well, okay. So... You know, I guess this this actually gets back to to one of the uh, earliest misconceptions that I that I that I uh, have with this book, which is that most of the time when I tell people about the book, they say to me, "Oh, okay, well, if you're writing about architecture in the Torah, then you're of course writing about Noah's Ark, the Tower of of of, of Babel, and uh, and the Tabernacle, and that's about it, right?" And so I would ha- have to explain to them that no, there's actually a lot of architecture. Uh, there's a lot of architecture that appears. So it's it's a, if you think about um, architecture, it really surrounds us, and we live in the built environment. Wherever we are, assuming we don't live in the forest somewhere, we are surrounded by architecture, and it, it affects everything that we that we do. So, for example, there are topics that might not be that might not come immediately to mind, such as uh, uh, accessibility, fire safety, um, egress. Uh, which is meaning being able to, to flee a building safely. Uh, all sorts of different techniques about construction, windows, doors. Uh, there are, these, are, these are things that get mentioned in the background of a lot of the stories in the, in, in the Torah, where you have uh, uh, the king noticing uh, Isaac and Rebekah through a window, or you have a story of, uh, of uh, the people in Sodom who are, who are, the whole confrontation takes place near the front door of Lot's house and the door actually plays a major role in that story so you could if you understand how if you if you understand how doors work it actually uh deepens your understanding of what's going on at that moment and that's true of many different stories that exist um things like staircases or uh or um bath bathhouses these are all things that take that appear in the bible that aren't about architecture but that an understanding of architecture could enrich your your understanding of what's actually happening in the in the story. 
So to answer your question, I would say that architecture is actually a very broad subject. It's not just, uh, it's not just studying museums. It's not just thinking about castles and palaces. It's, it's, it's really all the small details and the big details. Uh, there are much larger things like the, the foundation of cities, where in, the, in, in Genesis it talks about uh, the first people to build cities. And, and what does it mean to have a city? How, how, is, that, uh, how is that defined? And so I took a, what, what I think ar an architect would tell you is that there's, there's a ton of things that you need to know in order to, to practice architecture and to, 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 to make good design. And I tried to bring in as many of those things as I could, both to give the reader a taste of what the field of architecture is all about and also to, to bring that knowledge to bear on the stories in the, in the Torah. I was going to say, I think another good example that I saw in the book is the incident of Abraham greeting the three guests, three angels, three messengers that come to him. And you discuss the layout of a kitchen and how there's, there's different layouts that, that, that are in modern kitchens in regards to where the oven is compared to where the sink is, all these different things, different layouts. Whereas in the time of Abraham, you got to run out to, to the well and get the animal and things are very spaced out. So all this discussion of running and going and moving in that case is very understandable. And to contrast that to the way that we have kitchens now was very illuminating, something that I wouldn't think about. To, to piggyback off of that, if we're thinking about surprising finds, not that that was surprising per se, but things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, well, what are other examples, either specific examples or more broadly, that you came across as you were doing research that, that are surprising or interesting once you did the research and applied it to the text. It's, it's, it's interesting to note that, of course, the Bible is uh, a, a, one of the central texts of, of Western uh, knowledge and, and scholarship. And so uh, there were times that I, that I found interesting sources that appeared in uh, commentators such as Rashi or, or Ibn Ezra. There were other times that I found uh, secular non-Jewish architects who were also discussing the verses in the context of their own designs. Uh, so you have, for example, whole conversations about what is the origin of architecture. And there was one, uh, there was one scholar, a German scholar, who uh, focused heavily on fabric partitions. And he said that this is the, the essence of what architecture is all about. And one of the things that he talked about was the fabric coverings of the tabernacle. And he talk, talked about how uh, that helped mark the space as being a uh, a religious space, a sacred space. Um, other times you have uh, there. There's a famous Jewish architect, uh, Louis Kahn, who one of the things that he focused on most heavily was uh, separating uh, service and served spaces. Meaning, he thought that you should isolate the the service spaces, the ducts and uh, closets and and uh, air conditioning and Make sure that that's all hidden, so that when you come into a museum, you just see the space like a sacred space. And if you, what one of in one of my essays, I talk about how I I, I discuss that in 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 relationship to how the uh, the tabernacle was designed and the, how how in that case the space itself was sacred. You didn't need to hide the uh, hide any of the service stuff because the space itself was sacred. That Khan had to bring that in because he wanted to give his museums a certain sense, the same type of gravitas that they had. In, in, in a religious space. And, uh, and that I found to be a very interesting uh, conversation and a very interesting uh, way to look at, at his theory. Yeah, it definitely is. There, there are really, yeah, there are really uh, many essays in the book that, that each, each of them is a, is a unique topic. Um, and and, and, and uh, I invite the, the, your listeners to explore it. Uh, I think that they'll be very, uh, very, 
richly rewarded. I want to start from the beginning. If we look at the book, it's, it's a very nice book, pretty heavy, so you can lift it as, as, as a weight if, if you don't have any, um, any weights. But of course, you should read it and said, don't use it as a weight. But one of the things that, that I always like to talk about is the title and, and the, the cover image. So why this title? What does it mean to you? Were there other titles that you thought could have worked as well? And then also, what is the cover image and, and how was it decided upon? Well, I love that you asked this question. Thank you very much for asking because I, I, uh, the, the, the title, I can't exactly remember when the title came to me, but I know that the instant that I thought of it, uh, I was convinced that that was going to be, there was no question in my mind that that was going to be what it's called. It's called Architectura, which is a sort of pun. In, uh, in, in Hebrew and in Latin, the word for architecture is architectura. And uh, of course, here I'm just changing, changing one, of the, one letter to make it architectura because it's a, uh, a combination of studying architecture and Torah together. Uh, I was very, that was what, what, when I presented, when I, when I uh, presented the book to the publisher, that was already, uh, that was already my working title for, for the book and they went along with it. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's, that's, that's uh, pretty self-explanatory. In terms of the cover, well, um, I, I, I told you already about how the, the, the natural uh, inclination of people who I was telling the book about was to think that the book was gonna be about the Ark, the Tower of Babel and the Tabernacle. And so when it came time to design the cover, uh, my, the cover designer, uh, and my editor, uh, wanted me to pick an image of one of those three major projects. And that was something that I pushed back hard against because I thought it would only confirm what people were naturally going to assume about the book. And instead I wanted to come up with something that showed one of the other dozens of small architectural points that come, uh, that come up in the Torah and in rabbinic literature. Now, at, at the same time, I was, I was looking, uh, for examples of book covers that I liked. And I was reading a book called uh, Building Construction Before Mechanization uh, by, uh, by a scholar named John Fitchin. And uh, it had these amazing images taken from old architectural manuals, that, uh, which is a, a story in and of itself. But uh, that, it also had, it had one of those on its cover. And somewhere in the middle of that book, there was a footnote buried that mentioned uh, groups of porters. And uh, that's how I ended up finding the image that's on the cover. It has a picture of 32 uh, porters who are transporting a, uh, an obelisk. And uh, this was actually originally an image in a, in a book that was published by the Vatican about uh, how, uh, uh, how St. Peter's Cathedral was renovated in the, uh, I want to say the 1800s. Um, but the image itself Actually, when I when I saw this image, I my jaw, jaw dropped because it exactly um, depicts a discussion that happens in the Talmud in the Masafet Sota, which discusses how the uh, the twelve spies uh, who were sent by Moses to the land of Israel to spy it out and found a uh, a cluster of grapes and carried it back. Now the Torah the, 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 the Torah itself says that it was carried by two people uh, on a, with a pole. And the Talmud asks why, uh, why if, it say, if it says two people, does it also need to say with a pole? Because that's redundant. It, it, uh, it, it, by saying that it is being carried with a pole, we already know that two people are involved and uh, discusses the way that it was, it was transported. And it comes up with this whole elaborate discussion about how it was carried using a group of uh, eight porters who are sort of balancing the, uh, the weight between them. And when I looked at this image, I realized that this was describing exactly what that rabbi from the second century 
had described as the way that the spies had carried it. And so I, I realized that there was no way that most people were going to get uh, what there was no way that most people were going to look at the image on the cover and immediately make that connection. That would be asking too much for my for my for my readers. But uh, I thought it was architectural enough that it would be fitting for regular people. And for the few people who did make that connection, they would be enthralled and would uh, would instantly understand what the book was going to be about. And so uh, that we ended up going with that image uh, on the cover. Beautiful. And you just mentioned regular people. So we can have a discussion about what exactly that means. But I want to drill into that a little bit and, and ask you, who is audience of the book? Okay, so it's interesting. So there's, there's, there's two uh, distinct groups that I would say uh, you, you might, who, who, might be, uh, who might be interested in the book. I mean, I think that architecture itself has a vast appeal to a wide audience. There's so many people who come, who I speak to, uh, who say that at one time they thought about being an architect or they, you know, they tell me how much they love to play with Lego. And we all live, like I said, in the built environment. But I think the book will appeal to people who are curious to learn about architecture and also to people who are looking for a unique experience uh, exploring the Torah. Uh, there's no special architectural knowledge necessary in order to understand it. I try to speak in, uh, in layman's terms. I explain, uh, I explain uh, all the terminology in, in, the, in the cases where I do use technical terms. I, I explain them uh, in a very straightforward way. And, uh, and I, I think that anybody will be able to enjoy it, even uh, people who, certainly people who do not have an architectural background. In fact, uh, of, of of the reviews that the book has gotten so far, and uh, th- I'm thankfully most of them have been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I have yet the, the book has yet to be reviewed by somebody who's actually an architect, at least not formally. And so I I wonder how how that how the book would, would uh, is going to play with with people who are actually uh, come from an architectural background because I haven't gotten a formal review from from somebody uh, from that background. As a secondary audience, I think that the book will also be very useful for people who are researching architecture uh, and are unfamiliar with rabbinic sources. Um, one of the decisions that I made when I was doing the book was that I was going to use uh, transliterations of the Hebrew name, so uh, Avraham instead of Abraham. And I provide an, an index in the back that 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 help will help out anybody who who isn't familiar with the with the uh, with the Hebrew transliterations of the names. Uh, so that was definitely. Uh, me coming from a perspective that I thought that the book would be more geared towards uh, uh, a, a Jewish readership, but it's certainly not limited to that. And I, I tried to make it as accessible to possible to to all readers. Yeah, I think that definitely shows because I think things are explained very well, and you don't you don't need I don't have an architectural background, and I'm able to read it very well and, and understand it. You mentioned that the the reception has been positive overall. I'm curious, have there been any I don't know, pushbacks, the right word, but any critiques, anything that, that you've heard that you thought made sense and that maybe you'll potentially update in future editions or just were helpful feedback that gave you perspective that you didn't think about before you published it? Well, I, the, the truth is, is that I haven't, um, I haven't received a, 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 any overwhelming, any, any really negative feedback on it. I guess most of the people who, who speak to me about it are, are people who, you know, if they're thinking bad things about it, they don't want to tell me. Um, but for the most part, I've got I've gotten uh, just a lot of positive feedback. Um, I do sometimes think to myself whether or not I ought to have made it more scholarly. Uh, I think that I'm happy with how it how it how it uh, turned out. 
And of course, as as time goes on, and I I, I by no means am stagnant in my in my studies, I I come across other ideas which I think these would be great to have included. Uh, I do worry, of course, that there are mistakes. I imagine that every author has some fears, or if they don't, they should have some fears that that there'll be mistakes in their book. But uh, for the most part, uh, other than a couple of typos that people have pointed out to me, uh, I haven't I haven't gotten uh, much criticism. That's good. That's good to hear. The other thing I want to chat a little bit about is the the subtitle and the structure of the book. So the subtitle is Architectural Ideas in Judaism and the Weekly Torah Portion. So the Weekly Torah Portion is the weekly reading that traditional Jews and synagogues read on, on the Sabbath and on Mondays and Thursdays, part, portion of that. The breakdown makes sense, but I'm wondering if there were there any challenges. So as you said, speaking about writing on the tabernacle, pretty easy, Tower of Babel, pretty easy, Noah's Ark, e- easy to write about. But were there any portions, any sections that were more difficult to, to think of some architectural idea? So the truth is absolutely there were. Um, like you said, there are some portions that are very rich in architectural uh, ideas. There's certainly no shortage of, uh, of discussions about the tabernacle. And in fact, I didn't want to lean too heavily into that because it's been so covered so to such a great extent that you know there, there's no lack of discussions about the tabernacle that are out there for anybody who's looking for them. Similarly, there's no, if there's one subject that's been covered about Jewish architecture, it's synagogues. So you don't have to talk too much about synagogues unless you're gonna choose uh, a specific aspect of it that, that, you know, that relates to something else. I think that the, the, the decision to structure it as a, as, a, as a Parsha book, as a weekly Torah portion book, uh, came from a couple of places. First of all, I, I, I thought that that would be a, a good way to break it up into bite-sized parts that would be uh, good for my readers to to be able to, to to handle small portions at a time. It also had to do with with the way that I wrote it. I'm not a I'm not a professor. Uh, professor. I'm not a, uh, a professional scholar. I'm an architect, and I work all day in an architecture firm. And then I come home, and I you know take care of my kids, and and then I try and make some time to uh, uh, to do some writing. And so by breaking it up this way, it also made it a little bit easier on me that I could deal with one discrete topic at a time and uh, keep the chapters relatively short. And that way it was a lot more manageable for me when I was, when I was writing the book. Uh, it also, well, to answer your second question, it was, it was definitely a challenge to, to, to find topics on each, each, uh, each Torah portion. And I wanted there to be at least two for each, for each section. Uh, I figured if people were going to buy the book, we should give them their money's worth. But in some of them, there are a lot more. I think that the the most that there are for any any specific Torah portion is eight, uh, and that has to do with how how many uh, how many uh, how how much the how much architecture appears in each section. It was surprising to me that some some Torah portions that you would not think of as being particularly rich in architecture uh, end up having a lot of architectural discussions about them uh, in in ways that you wouldn't think. Uh, Bereshit, the first the first part of of Genesis. Uh, which is very abstract in a lot of ways, but because of the uh, the, the the way that people, that the secular scholars, have addressed Genesis and used it as as part of their theory and 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 their understanding of how the world was designed and God as an architect, there ends up being a lot of stuff to discuss in in that in that uh, portion or in the portion that talks about Sarat, uh, leprosy, uh, which there is a type of leprosy that uh, it's not exactly leprosy, but it's a type of the skin disease that that afflicts people and it also afflicts their houses. 
and it ends up that there, although you would not think that that's a, that that's a, a, a chapter that has a lot of uh, architectural discussions, it turns out that there are. So if you look at my book and you see the, the uh, there are certain, there are certain uh, portions that have five, six, seven topics on it, you'll know that I didn't have trouble finding ones for that and I could be pretty selective. If you see one that only has two on it, then it's possible that I uh, was trying to, that I needed to, to stretch things in order to get, to get to those. And so I, there were some topics that were, that could have gone into a number of different portions, depending, you know, that, that quote verses from, uh, from different chat, from different parts of the, of the, of the Torah. And so those, you know, I had to move some around in order to make sure that I had two for each topic. Uh, the beginning of numbers, for example, does not have a lot going on. Uh, some of the chapters at the end of the Torah, at the end of Deuteronomy, which are very short, also took a little bit of, of, of thought in terms of finding uh, finding topics to discuss in them. But in the end, there, I, because architecture is so pervasive in our lives, there there ended up being enough to 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 find uh, appropriate topics for every portion. Yeah, yeah. So eight. There's a lot to digest. We've got eight essays, so that's definitely a lot to share at the the Sabbath table for, for those eight essays, even if there's just two, I think there's still still a lot there, a lot of meat and potatoes, e- even with those that have less essays. We've discussed, and you said at the top, that you're a professional architect. How have you brought these ideas that you've learned and they've wrote about in this book to your architectural practice? I'd love to tell you that uh, that I, I have brought, that it's been very useful, but I, for the most part, I think that it's mostly a, 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 one, a one direction flow. Um, Certainly, any amount of as as part of my research for the book, I've been reading uh, many architectural texts, and those, of course, all get added to your general uh, acumen as a as an architect. Uh, for the most part, uh, I, I think that there's a a picture of architects in like the uh, Howard Rourke uh, picture as these like you know creative geniuses who 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 impose their vision on the world and can take you know. A specific idea and uh, and run with it. Uh, I'm an architect. I work in an office. We do uh, uh, um, a lot of work for the for government agencies. There's some room for for creativity, but for the most part, we're trying to make sure that our clients are uh, are satisfied and have uh, have the spaces that they need. So uh, there's less uh, bombastic uh, symbolism and uh, and uh, design gestures than you might than you might imagine. Uh, so unfortunately, it hasn't. It has, and and furthermore, I'm not the principal in my office. I'm not the the one making the uh, at the end of the day the all the design decisions. So uh, so for the most part, it hasn't uh, it hasn't had so much of an impact on my day to day work. When I'm hearing is not yet, not yet. So uh, not yet. not yet exactly. The the book is it's almost six hundred pages, so there, there's a lot of material that we, that we could talk about. We could, we could be here for hours, but for your sake, for the listeners' sake, we'll we'll make sure that, that we have just a more succinct conversation. Are there any specific messages that you want the book to convey that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, I I think that uh, one of the one of the things that anybody who who is is reading this book will will immediately realize is that architecture uh, is is all around us and affects our the way that we live. On a, on a very deep level. And so I think that for on, on one level, it'll give people an appreciation of, of the work that architecture do, architects do and all of the things that we take into account when we're doing design. And, uh, and, and, and it will also, I think, deepen people's appreciation of architecture around them. When I walk through a city, 
I'm never bored because there's always buildings around me and I'm always looking at them and uh, thinking about the decisions that were made. Uh, today, actually, on a book, uh, book podcast, today I went for the first time to the new uh, uh, National Library that opened up recently in Israel, in Jerusalem, and I took the architectural tour. It was designed by a, by a world-famous architecture office, Herzog and Deveron, uh, and it's a beautiful building. And it, I, I walked into the building, and it, it's not, it wasn't that the architecture took my breath away. It's that it felt like I had just received a gift. Me personally, who don't, I don't spend every day in the library. I go there on occasion to, to look things up. And to spend you know some uh, some quiet hours doing research, uh, it felt like I had received this gift that this was something that that I would personally benefit from it. It felt it felt like I was unwrapping a gift, and uh, and that there was now this new space in Jerusalem that I could use that was that was something that was there for me, and that was an amazing feeling. And I think the architects did a great job at making the building welcoming and feel like a uh, a space that that was shayas that was that belonged to uh, to the citizens. And that's, you can't take that for granted. And it certainly was not the case in the former library, which was all the way in the back of, uh, of the Hebrew University campus that you needed to go through security and, uh, and uh, know exactly where you're going to get to and kind of felt like a fortress and you have to go upstairs. Here, it really felt uh, welcoming. When you step into a building like that, you get an appreciation of, of, uh, of what the architects do. And so I hope in some way, my book also enhances the way that uh, people will will look at the world around them and also uh, help them appreciate these, these these aspects that these things that architects bring to their to their uh, to their craft. Beautiful. And speak, speaking about gifts, this will make a great holiday gift for anyone who's looking. So go out and buy the book. I think one of the things I originally I originally uh, pitched the book as uh, something that you could buy to somebody for somebody as a uh, a uh, as a house when somebody's moving into a new house it would be a an appropriate gift. Uh, um, I don't know whether or not that uh, had any influence on my publisher's decision to uh, to take on the project, but uh, <laughs> that was something that I thought about at first. No, it's not like that. In order to get, so we've talked about different interpretations, different books. Our, we, we've discussed a lot of things in the book. I wanted to maybe drill in a little bit more and just have a taste of, of some of the an essay or two just gives some ideas from from these Torah portions that we're reading currently in synagogue. We're reading now about about Isaac and Jacob and, and their descendants. If anything that you could share, it, it could help us just have a better taste of, of what the book is trying to do. Sure. So I'll give you one from each of uh, this week's part, this week's portion, and next week's portion. Uh, and in in the portion of Vayishlach, which we're reading this this Sabbath, uh, it talks about. Uh, Jacob is is approaching his return to the land of Canaan, and he's uh, he gets word that his brother Esau is coming to uh, confront him with four hundred men, and so he famously uh, prepares himself, according to the to the to the commentators, he prepares himself by three ways. He prepares himself by sending gifts, by praying, and by preparing himself militarily. And the way that he prepares himself militarily is by splitting his camp into two. He says in, in the verse, it says, uh, if Asaph comes to one camp and smites it, then the camp which is left shall escape. And uh, the, the commentators discuss different ways that this might happen. Like if, if they're too busy killing the people in the first camp, they'll give time to the second people in the, in the, in, in the, people in the second camp to escape. Or possibly if uh, they're attacking the people, if they're killing the people in the first camp, then that will uh, 
result in God taking mercy, having mercy on the people in the second camp and sparing them. Uh, this is something that I've been thinking about, unfortunately, in terms of what's been going on in Israel over the last uh, two months, where we talk about the, the uh, massacre by Hamas and, uh, and how they, uh, it, according to some accounts, they had much grander plans to either see, seize portion, part of the land or, or continue on in their, in their attack. But they were uh, way late. They were too busy pillaging and worse uh, that they that it gave time to the people of uh, uh, of the communities and the forces of Israel to to mobilize and come back and and counterstrike, which is a an awful way of thinking about the parsha. But unfortunately, it seems very relevant in now in in today's in today's in today's current events. There's also uh, in in Bereshi, in Genesis, Rabbi talks about how. Uh, this is a, a a sign for future generations, where it was known that uh, Israelites would be living in uh, in in foreign lands, and they would have to take a, a defensive position, either by separate being in many different lands and always having a different place where they could go for a refuge, but also in in terms of like how they would uh, prepare themselves defensively. And I think about my uh, grandfather, who who was born in Ukraine, and how their house when when there were pogroms, they had. A, a uh, hiding space under their floor, which they were able to go into with some of their neighbors and hide from from the pogroms. And I think about how modern day architecture is, uh, in Israel has been affected by the same idea, both in terms of how the uh, the uh, uh, the country has uh, tried to spread out the population so that they're, uh, it's not all concentrated on the coast near Tel Aviv, but also in terms of how after the uh, the Gulf War in in the early 90s they changed the law to require every house to have a safe room, uh, which is designed to protect against both against missile strikes and against uh, chemical weapons. Uh, unfortunately, what it's not designed to protect against is people coming in from the outside. In fact, the opposite. Uh, they wanted to make sure the design code for, for the safe rooms is such that uh, you always have to have at least two exits because they worry that if a missile hits like the door of the safe room, they want to still be able to get the people out from the outside. And so if, uh, after the attack, uh, the, 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 the civilian, the civil uh, guard can come in and uh, get the people out of the rooms via the window or via a trap door in the floor. And unfortunately, that worked uh, against uh, the people who were hiding in safe rooms in, in, in Aza because there is no mechanism for locking the doors from the inside because they didn't want the doors to be able to be locked on the inside. They wanted people to be able to be rescued from the outside. And that's something that now architects are trying to come up with solutions for how they could uh, they could make it so that the safe rooms can be uh, both safe from the inside and safe from the outside. So that's uh, something that I've been thinking about, actually something that I wrote about a little bit, obviously, before, without the component about what's been going on recently in, in this week's Parsha. In terms of next week's Parsha, uh, Parsha Vayishlach, so there's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting verse in the Torah, in Genesis 39, 12, where, it said, where it's talking about uh, 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 Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And it says that, uh, that she, tried to, she tried to seduce him, right? And she, tried to lie, she says to him, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. So the commentators, the Jewish commentators ask why, they often uh, analyze when things seem to be redundant. So why does it have to say both, and he left? And he went outside. And one of the things that I talk about, I use this as a, as a way of talking about the idea of egress. Now, when you're in a, uh, a, a building that's on fire, it, it needs to be, uh, you need to both flee from the fire, but you also need to get outside. 
And so that influences how what the what the building code says about about how you have to desi uh, design the 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 path to get out of a building. So for example, something you may not think about, something that if you're not an architect, you probably never thought about. You can't have a dead end corridor. So like if you're running down a hallway, right? And you see that there's a corridor over here. You don't want people turning down that corridor, getting to the end of it and realizing that it doesn't go anywhere. And then they've got to turn back around and go back in the opposite direction. And meanwhile, other people are going in that direction and you're trying to tell. So you just you want to make it easy for people to, to, to both run away and to get outside. It's one thing to run away. It's another thing to be able to successfully escape the building. They're, they're not really the same, the same thing. And so that, that's my answer for why this verse is seemingly repeating itself in the, in the language. And it's a, uh, and it's an interesting way to, to get people thinking a little bit about, again, another component that goes into the design of a building, making sure that the building is safe. And it's interesting, there actually is a midrash, a, a legend that talks about uh, that the, the gates of the house were chained shut and that Joseph had to break through the chains in order to be able to escape the house. And I think that gets at the same idea. And it also is reminiscent of, of, uh, uh, of how fire code developed in the first place incidents like in the triangle waste uh factory shirt uh factory where 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 the doors were chained shut and so that led the uh the, the local governments to pass laws about how about fire safety and making sure the buildings were safe so that people wouldn't all die in conflagrations i think this and, and the conversation as a whole really brings out the point that this is a great book to better understand the torah and and, and its text it, it helps give some more color and 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 better understanding to it. And I think for me as well, as a, as a, a layperson, a non-expert, helps me better understand architectural principles and, 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 and see them from, from a Jewish light. So I think it's really, really a great read. At the end of interviews with New Books Network, we always like to ask a traditional closing question. What are you working on next? Ah, well, okay. Uh, I, as I've said, I'm, a, I'm an architect by, by profession. And so most of the things I'm working on are elementary school, a train station, a health clinic, uh, building projects. But in, in terms of writing, uh, I do enjoy writing scholarly articles for journals. Uh, and after spending 18 years or so on this book, uh, articles seem a little bit more <laughs> manageable to me. Uh, but there are a few other long-term projects that I've got in mind. I've, I've written a draft uh, of a Hebrew-English architectural dictionary, which I think could be very helpful to all sorts of people. Maybe not the type of book that you, <laughs> that you generally talk about in this program, but uh, that's one thing that I've worked on. Uh, I, there's an organization uh, called Nefesh Benefesh, which, help, which helps uh, Jews who are living in the diaspora um, move to Israel. And on occasion, I'm one of the contacts, one of the architectural contacts, who, who if somebody is an architect and they want to find out about the profession of architecture in Israel, uh, people will get in touch with me. And uh, uh, one, I think that one of the most valuable things that I, that I could give them is a, is a lexicon because nobody learns how to speak, nobody in day school learns how to speak about architecture. Uh, and, and there's just a certain vocabulary that you need to know. And there's no, there's no where, where to learn it. So that's one of the things I'm able to, uh, that, uh, that's the reason why I started working on that, so that I would have something to give people who are thinking of moving to Israel and, uh, and don't have the language. Another project that I'm working on is, uh, that came out of the book as well, is that there, there have been a number of source books about architecture in the ancient, in, in, in uh, Latin and Greek works where they extract the different uh, references to architecture uh, from from that literature, and uh, most of them exclude completely uh, rabbinic literature as a potential source. 
So I would like to add to that scholarship by taking all the binders of notes that I have from writing my book and arranging the raw sources in a format that would give access to scholars who might not be familiar with rabbinic literature. I think you could get a little bit of, of that out of this book. But uh, if I formatted it differently, I think it could also be a valuable resource. And there are some, those are two of the ideas. There are a few others that I've been working on as, as well, but yeah. It all sounds very interesting and, and very helpful for all sorts of people. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing for, for scholarship and for the Jewish people and really keep up the great work. I really had a great time with, with this and thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been great being here and I really appreciate your, uh, your podcast. Thank you so much. We've been talking to Josh Scarf author of Architectura, published by Orion Press in 2023. Happy reading, my friends.